Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician Dr. Robert Jackson, his wife Carlotta, and their daughter Hannah Miller, this program will help you understand that human beings are more than just physiology, that for people there's more than just diagnosis and treatment, and that in life there's more than just medicine for a cure. This is More Than Medicine, and the doctor is in. Welcome back to More Than Medicine. I'm Hannah Miller, and I'm here with my dad, Dr. Robert Jackson. And dad, I, I distinctly remember, in, even to this day, all growing up, when we would have our family devotions in the evenings, which we usually had a family uh, time in the Word together five to seven days a week. I mean, it was very, very consistent growing up. But oftentimes, you would come home and share a story from a patient or something that had happened in your office that day. And of course you were always careful to not, you know, give names and that kind of thing. So you were always sometimes had to be very vague, but you still were able to use great illustrations from your practice. And you told me today that you wanted to share one of the most compelling, was that the word that you used? Compelling and moving. Uh, stories that you've heard in your practice, and it's one I've never heard before. So uh, why don't you go ahead and share that with us this morning? All right. Our topic for today is waiting on God. And before I do any kind of teaching about waiting on God, I want to share uh, a story. It's really a love story. Everybody loves a love story. <laughs> so let me tell you a story. I met John, a patient of mine, when he was 71 years old. His wife, Maria, was about 55. He was a retired quartermaster for a shipping company, and he had traveled all over the world working for that shipping company. She was a housekeeper for an upscale motel in Columbia, South America, located on the coast in a small harbor town. And this is their story. Senor Juan, as he was called by the locals, frequently stayed at a motel where Maria worked. His shipping business brought him to her harbor town about every three months. He was generous and kind. He was tall and handsome. And by their standards, he was a wealthy American businessman. Maria was in her mid-twenties and very attractive with dark brown eyes and lovely features. She and John were immediately attracted to one another, despite almost 20 years of difference in age. They both began to live for their every three-month visits, which usually lasted for five to seven days. Then he would be gone back to sea. After 18 months of such visits, Senor Juan began to discuss marriage with Maria. She was flattered and flustered, she didn't know what to do. She had to think about it. After all, he was an American and he lived on the sea. Nevertheless, John was serious and persistent. At his next visit, he made a serious proposal of marriage. She pondered this for several days, then finally agreed. They decided to have a wedding on his last day at the motel with all her family and friends present before he had to return to sea. She would, of course, go with him when he returned to sea. 
Maria left to prepare herself and her family. The family was astonished that she would even consider this. They were reluctant and delayed her with many questions. The hours went by while John waited at the motel. Finally, at long last, she persuaded the family, answered all their questions, and arrived at the motel in her finest white dress, with all of her family and friends in attendance. But Signor Juan was nowhere to be found. There was a note for her at the main desk in the motel lobby, which read, My dearest Maria, my ship has been called away earlier than I expected. I have had to leave promptly by orders of the ship's captain. I am terribly sorry. Please wait for me. I will return. John. Maria was devastated. She cried for weeks, but was hopeful at the same time that Signor Juan would return in three months as he promised. He was a man of his word. Her family ridiculed her and scoffed at her confidence in his promise, saying that he had used her like all the other Americans they had known. She refused to listen to their reproaches and their cynicism, and she began to wait patiently. Meanwhile, back in the States, John lost his job at the shipping line shortly thereafter. The economy had changed, and that type of job was not readily available any longer. Try as he might, he could not find a similar job that would take him back to South America. His finances suffered badly, and he could not afford to go back to Maria. Time passed, his wounded heart healed, and he ended up marrying another woman to whom he stayed married for 20 years and with whom he had two children. But he never forgot Maria. After 20 years, his wife died. I think it was cancer, but I can't remember exactly. After grieving for two years, John decided to return to South America and look for Maria. He was retired now and had adequate income to do such a thing. Now in his late 60s, healthy, Still handsome and strong, John walked into the motel lobby in the harbor town and inquired about Maria. Immediately, he was recognized by the motel staff, who remembered him from 20-plus years ago. No, Senor Juan. Maria is not here today. She is off today, but she still works here, and she is still waiting for you to return. A runner was sent to her home. The motel was buzzing with excitement. Within the hour, Maria's family arrived to stand around Senor Juan in amazement, with their mouths agape. In two hours, Maria arrived in her best white dress, the same one she had worn 20 years prior, carrying a bouquet of flowers and ready to be married to a man for whom she had waited for 20-plus years. She was as beautiful at 51 as she was at 25. John was moved to tears and asked her on the spot if she would marry him. She agreed with great enthusiasm. A magistrate was summoned, and they were married instantly, albeit after a 20-year wait. When I met them, they were like two lovebirds. She was still struggling to learn English. They lived in South Carolina during the summer months, and they lived in Florida during the winter months. They were such a delight to know and to care for. 
John died approximately 20 years later at age 91. Maria was in her early 70s at the time, healthy, attractive, and deeply saddened at his passing. She eventually moved to Florida where some of her people lived. What a sweet love story. What an amazing example of patient waiting, of confident waiting, of confidence in a promise made and a promise kept. This story is one of the most amazing stories that my patients have ever shared with me. Some years ago, there used to be a commercial on television that portrayed an older gentleman in a long overcoat with a briefcase in one hand and a cigar clenched between his teeth, standing on a busy street corner, waiting on a street light to change. He was obviously in a big hurry. There was dramatic music in the background, and as the gentleman stomped his feet, he said repeatedly, I hate to wait. I hate to wait. It was an effective commercial for some product because it captured accurately the inner attitude of so many of us today. We are impatient and we don't like to wait on anything. My patients certainly don't like to wait. Hannah, do you know the number one complaint that patients have about medical doctor offices? The wait time. (laughs) You're exactly right. It's exactly right. The number one complaint in medical doctor offices is the wait time in the, quote, waiting room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, if I don't spend an adequate amount of time with the patient in the exam room, because I have a waiting room full of impatient patients, then that patient in the exam room complains that I was in a hurry and didn't spend enough time with them. Oh my, what's a doctor to do? (laughs) But here's the thing. All my patients know that I will get to them by approximately 5 p.m. because they know that I'm going home by 5.30 or 6 o'clock p.m. So their wait time has a definite end point. They know that I'm going to get to them by about five o'clock. But here's the thing. When we are in God's waiting room, he doesn't really have anywhere to go by a certain time. We never know when he will open the door and say, it's your appointment time. He's never in a hurry. He's not constrained by time. Waiting on God is hard. We are encouraged to wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. That's Psalms chapter 27 and verse 14. And King David the psalmist is encouraging us to wait for the Lord. But how do I go about waiting on God when I have bills to pay without adequate finances? When I have prodigal children? When I have a spouse stepping out on me? When I can't find a job to replace the one I just lost. In times like those, I have more questions than answers. And panic is seeping around the edges of my heart. And sleep evades me at night. My prayers seem to go no higher than the ceiling, 
yet I'm supposed to wait on God? What does that really mean to me, and how do I actually do that? Before I answer that question, let me relate a personal experience in my own life. When I was a five-year-old child, my father was a resident at the Medical University in Charleston, South Carolina, and every morning before he left to go to work, he would promise my sister and myself that he would bring us a piece of candy from the hospital store. They had a little store there at the hospital, mm-hmm. and he would, he would bring us a little piece of candy. And for weeks on end, he was faithful to always remember to bring my sister and myself a little piece of candy. And each morning when he left, we would grab him by the leg and we would say, thank you, Daddy, thank you, Daddy, because we knew that he was going to bring us a piece of candy. (laughs) Even without seeing the candy in hand, we were already thankful. We had faith because he was faithful. He was dependable. And then, unfortunately, one day, guess what? He forgot. (laughs) Exactly right. He forgot. And ever after that, my sister and I never trusted him anymore. Every day when he left to go to the hospital, we would say, Daddy, Daddy, please bring us a piece of candy. Don't forget, Daddy. Don't forget. And he would look at us and he'd say, Son, just trust me. And my little five-year-old mind, I would look at him. And in my mind, I would say to myself, Well, now, Daddy, I want to trust you. But for some reason, I just can't do that. And the reason was was because beforehand, he had been faithful. Mm -hmm. He had been dependable like a deity. (laughs) But now, all of a sudden, my dad had become a human. Mm -hmm. And he was unfaithful and untrustworthy. And every time he left, I had to remind him and had to beg him to please Do not forget. Let me say emphatically, our God is not that way. Even when we are unfaithful, He always remains faithful because He cannot deny Himself. In the opening illustration, Maria knew the promises that John had made. She also knew His character And she trusted that he would keep his promises. Even though it took 20 years, Maria waited on its fulfillment. What about you and me? What does it take for us to wait on God? Well, here's my suggestions. First of all, we have to know God's promises. We have to know his word. We have to know what those promises are. There's no shortcut and no substitute for patient, diligent study of God's Word so that we can familiarize ourselves with the promises of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. There's no substitute for serious, diligent, personal study of God's Word. Now, when we do that, we realize that God promised a Messiah. For thousands of years, He told the Jews, the Hebrews, that there would be a Messiah. And then at the appointed time, the fullness of time, the Messiah arrived. 
Jesus promised that he would rise again. He told his disciples that as, as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be three days in the earth. But then he promised that he would rise again. And sure enough, as he promised, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus also promised a comforter. He promised the Holy Spirit. And he told his disciples that it was better for them that he would leave so that the comforter would come. And sure enough, as he promised on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and now indwells every true believer. Jesus promised pardon, peace, purpose, power for Christian folks. And any spirit-controlled, spirit-led Christian can tell you that he can and does accomplish all of that for every one of us. Jesus keeps his promises. But the only way any of us know that is by a faithful, persistent, daily study of God's Word. That's how we know the promises of God. The second thing is we have to know God's character. Just like Maria knew Signor Juan's character, we have to learn the character of God. If we're going to trust Him and wait patiently on Him, we must know His character. The question in all of our minds is this, is He trustworthy? Romans 3, 4 says, Let every man be found a liar, and let God be true. It is His essential nature to be truthful, faithful, and a promise keeper. God is a covenant-keeping God. However, we are not convinced of that except by reading about His faithfulness to the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness. He was faithful to provide manna for them every day for 40 years. He was faithful to provide water from the rock, to provide water when they were thirsty. God provided quail from the east that came in to give them meat to eat. God provided for them when they went into the promised land, and He drove out all the nations before them. God was with them. He provided for them. He fulfilled His promises to them. And it's as we read the Word of God that we come to understand how God was faithful and kept His promises. We read about how God was faithful to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to raise Him up from the dead, accepting that substitutionary death in our stead. We read how He was faithful to the first century disciples, delivering them from prison, delivering them from persecution, and honoring the preaching of the Word, the preaching of the Gospel message, so that many thousands of people were brought into the church of God through their ministry. God was faithful. He kept His promises, not just to the children of Israel in the wilderness, not just to them as they entered the promised land, not just to the Lord Jesus to raise Him up from the dead, but He was also faithful to the first century disciples as they began to inaugurate this new enterprise known as the Church of the Living God. It is as we read about His faithfulness that we learn that God can be trusted. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. 
That's how we learn the character of God and learn to trust Him. Only then will we wait patiently on Him when the vagaries of life assault us and we end up in God's waiting room, waiting on a prodigal child to return home, waiting on an unfaithful spouse to repent and see the light, waiting on a financial reversal to reverse once again, waiting on the next job to come our way. It's only when we are in God's waiting room that we come face to face with our ability or our inability to trust in God. As we read and study the Word of God, we come to a place where we learn to trust Him, we trust His character, we trust in His promises, and we learn who this God is that we believe in. The scripture says, wait on the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Now, here's the question. Why do we find that to be such a hard thing for us to do? Well, I'll submit a few ideas. One of the things that we find so hard is that that God doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we want. On our timeline. (laughs) And secondly, on our timeline. We are bum-fuzzled so many times by the fact that God has made promises to us, and yet when we pray to the Lord, His answers to our prayers are not exactly the way we want them to be answered, or they're not on our timeline. And that causes us to distrust Him. That causes us to be skeptical of His goodness or skeptical of His ability to answer prayer or skeptical of His willingness to answer our prayer. And it makes us unwilling to wait on God. And we resort to our own resources. We abandon God. We abandon His faithfulness. We abandon His promises. And we turn to all manner of other devices in our lives Because He doesn't do things the way that we anticipate that they should be done, the way that we expect that they should be done. We have to understand, Miss Hannah, that we live in a broken world. We live in a world where there are prodigal children who resist the Holy Spirit. We live in a world where there are adulterous spouses who rebel against God and against the subtle prompting of Holy Spirit. We live in a world where there are drug-addicted children who choose sin over righteousness. And even though you and I may do everything right, we abide in the Word, we abide in prayer, we walk in the Spirit, we seek the face of God, there's just no way that we can guarantee that things are going to work out the way that we want them to work out, the way that we expect them to work out. God is a sovereign God, and God has a plan for every person's life, and He does things in the way that He chooses. And we cannot uh, abandon God simply because He doesn't do things on our timeline, and because He doesn't do things in the way that we anticipate. And this 
causes us to have to screw our courage and our faith to the sticking place. And it causes us to have to choose to trust God. And I'm saying to our listening audience that it's only as we abide in the Word that we learn to trust the promises of God. It's only as we abide in the Word that we learn to trust the character of God. And that we can wait on God in God's waiting room over many months and sometimes years of time as we're waiting on Him to fulfill His promises to us. The story of Senor Juan and Maria is a story that has encouraged me over many years of time. She was faithful and she waited patiently on a promise made by a man, not by God, because she knew his character and she knew that he was a promise keeper. And one day John showed up and kept his promise. Our God is not a man that he should lie. Our God is a promise keeping God. He is a covenant-keeping God. He deserves our trust. He deserves our confidence. And we can put our faith in Him. And that's what I would like to share with our audience today. Do not be afraid to wait on God. Do not be afraid to put our trust and our confidence in God. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. You know, when I was in college, I right when I was in my gap year in between high school and college, it was the spring of 2009. Uh, and we only have a couple of minutes left here, but really quickly, kind of taking all this subject and applying it to parenting. And you kind of alluded to it a little bit with your story of your dad. But this, I came face to face with the faithfulness of God when uh, Father's Day in 2009, I was writing you a letter, or and I think I ended up having to call, and I left a message on your phone. But anyway, the, the gist of it was that I was able to understand the love and the faithfulness of my Heavenly Father because of the love and the faithfulness and the example that you had set for me. And I realized that, wow, if, if my earthly father, who has many faults, is able to extend love and grace and be as faithful as he is, how much more so can my heavenly father, and I remember, I, I remember exactly where I was standing and I was, it was like a lightning rod hit me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, and I just wanted to add that in as a little bit of a, here on the tail end, as a reminder to parents on the importance of being faithful and loving and gracious to your children and the example that you set for your children so that they can, and reminding them that you're not perfect, but in your imperfectness, it highlights the perfection of God and His ability to be even more faithful, even more loving, and even more gracious mm -hmm. and with our faults, with His children's faults than even more than our earthly parents are. And I, you know, and it was this moment where I, I had recognized, you know, wow, dad just, and my parents really, both my parents, but in that moment, it was Father's Day, extends so much grace to me and is so faithful to me. And it was, you know, and he's not perfect. He's a human being and God must be even 
more so. And it was a powerful moment in my life and I'm very thankful for you and your parenting and, and mom to being able to direct me and, and to have that moment of understanding in my spiritual walk with the Lord. Now, thank you, Dad. This was such a this was a great lesson and I look forward to next week. Thank you for listening to today's edition of More Than Medicine. You can follow Jackson Family Ministry on Facebook, Instagram, and on their website. Be sure to contact them via jacksonfamilyministry at gmail.com for speaking engagements and for book information. Join us next time for More Than Medicine.